You're listening to New Wave, Materials, Methods and Media, Glasgow School of Art, 1970-1986, a series of podcasts produced as part of a research project for Glasgow School of Art's archives and collections. I am Debbie Banerjee. Episode 5, Some Are Big Like Pebbles and Some Are Small Like Sand. This podcast investigates extracurricular activities at the school, focusing on a programme of events that ran throughout the 1970s and into the 90s called Activities Week. The episode is composed of staff and student recollections of this time and features extracts of audio from performances by Ivor Cutler, Bruce McLean and Ian Breakwell. The podcast features an order of appearance, Jackie Parry, who studied at the school from 1970 and specialised in printmaking. She taught in both the design and fine art school and became head of printmaking in 1991. Jimmy Cosgrove studied from 1968 and specialised in printed textiles. He was a member of staff at GSA from 1973 to 1999 and held a number of positions during this time, including head of printed textiles, head of first year studies and deputy director of the school. Alistair MacDonald studied from 1973 and specialised in product design. He started to teach in first-year studies in 1984 and later in the design school. He is currently a senior researcher in the School of Design. Elspeth Lamb studied from 1969 and specialised in printmaking. Ronnie Forbes worked for four years at GSA from 1978. He taught in the printmaking, drawing and painting and mixed media department during this time. Jane Taylor studied from 1978 and specialised in printmaking. Roger Hoare worked for eight years from 1973. He started as a tutor in the painting department and set up mixed media in 1977. Brian Kelly studied at GSA from 1976 and specialised first in printmaking and then mixed media. He started to teach at the school from 1985 and currently teaches fourth year sculpture and environmental art. And finally, Sam Ainsley who started teaching in murals and stained glass from 1982. She taught on the environmental art course and led the MFA programme. I'm Jackie Parry. Activities Week started when I was a student. I think the first one maybe would have been in 1971. It was the most exciting thing. Talks, well, lectures, films every morning in the GFT parties, dances, performances, everybody participated in the, well, it seemed to me everybody participated in the school, whether they did or not, but it was incredible. So, you know, a lot of the staff would stay on in the evening and go to these performance events and it was just fantastic. It was the brainchild of Tony Jones and, and Bob Stewart. They were the driving forces from the, the onset. And then eventually Bob made use of the department quite a bit for the posters and so on. David Dobson actually ran Activities Week, I think, for one or two years. So eventually I certainly became involved through printing posters and stuff for it. That in itself was great because I got to meet a lot of people. For example, Palazzi was up. I'd put on an exhibition of his moon strips. Tony and I put, put it up in the staff lounge. Tony brought Palazzi up and I was printing away and, and chatting to Palazzi. I said, by the way, Eduardo, that moon strips series is just brilliantly, brilliantly printed. Not to talk about the content, but... The printing techniques, I said, I see you print a white 
overwhite to clean up the edges. He said, what? <laughs> I suddenly realised that you don't need to do everything yourself. There are people who can do it better for you. <laughs> anyway, that was, for me, a really good aspect of it, was getting to know people because they were coming up. And then eventually starting to put programmes together for it that had a balance. And then when I got to know people, they would open up doors for other people. For me, that was great. Guests I remember were David Hockney, Palozzi, Cedric Price, John Hale from America, John Glashen, Joe McGrath. They were absolutely amazing. I remember Cedric Price came and at one of these parties, the director, Jefferson Barnes, who seemed quite a quiet man, you never see him at a student party or anything like that. I remember him dancing with Eleanor Bron, the actress, who I think was the partner of Cedric Price, in the bar at, in the Haldane building. Patrick Heron as well, he came and he, he, of course, was a great spokesperson for art education. And every year we had these large-scale posters on billboards out the front here and I was extremely honoured when I was asked to do the one for Patrick Heron so I loved doing that and then I made a couple of small editions on handmade paper and I don't have any and the ones that went up around the school the smaller ones they all disappeared as soon as they went up as a result of that I got to have a small exchange written exchange with Patrick Heron for a while I'm Alistair MacDonald. People like Jimmy Cosgrove, for instance, was very prominent in terms of the advertising. So you'd come along Renfrew Street and there'd be large billboard-sized screen-printed posters. That kind of turned Renfrew Street into an activity week itself, not just in the school, but the public could see he was coming along. And there were some very high-profile people coming, uh, people like Victor Papanek. He was one of the people that inspired me into product design. I think that was one of the things I felt as a student, that Activities Week was at that time able to bring in really quite important people into the school. And, and these were talks that were available to everyone. So even though I was in a product design specialism course, I could go and see people who were prominent in other areas. And that was kind of well advertised. Willie Bowen, he, he would have brilliant references, but they were very often classical references. It was very much the, the history of art. And there would be lectures in the school, but they would be from people who were art historians. I said to Willie Bowen, I said, Mr Bowen, do you think that eventually we might get people like David Hockney, who at that time was emerging as a force? And he said, no, people like that will not come to Glasgow. Why should they? Well, I think they were clamouring to come to Glasgow. Probably still are. It's Elspeth Land. I mean, that was really good fun. I remember David Hockney coming and giving a talk and talking to him, and he came with this entourage of gay men, which was quite something in those days. Because, you know, it wasn't quite as accepted as it is now. Although amongst art students, anything was really acceptable. But he sort of flounced in in an emerald green coat with a big brown fur collar. And everyone was like, wow! <laughs> it was really a great thing, that Activities Week. Everyone looked forward to it. And they'd show great films as well. I remember seeing Rosemary's Baby and Singing in the Rain and Battleship Potemkin. All sorts. 
the development of the GFT through activities, we, I think, was formidable. Having a programme of films in every activities week, right from day one all the way right through in my time, it was always a relationship with film. And it was a kind of oblique relationship in the sense that programmes we put on were chosen by the speakers. Hockney would have a, an opportunity to choose a film or films that he felt were significant to his development and so on. And then eventually it became, I think, more about film for film's sake. So there was always this interest in film. My name is Ronnie Forbes. I was one of the performers, I suppose you'd call it, one activity speak, in that I had a show of my films in the Macintosh Lecture Theatre. And I was going to say I was sandwiched between, but I can't remember who was before in the sandwich, but after me was George Melly. And I still got an audience. <laughs> we all ran to George, George Melly's lecture, and then he was playing in his band. So it was absolutely wonderful. Jane Taylor. So it was kind of like a week of fun. Still going to the studio and do things, but you'd go and see what was going on. And I think the highlight of my whole Activities Week experience was Ivor Cutler. Fantastic. He came and gave a lecture, and he had this little organ, and he sang songs and did poetry. It was fantastic. We were in awe. I'd, I'd kind of heard him on John Peel. He was really inspiring. And even now, sometimes I hear some of his stuff and I think, do you know, you're such a genius. We put on this very sort of innocent, childlike kind of personality. But underneath there was some really quite amazing little bits of observation and sort of very human touches. This is a love song and at my age and having been in love several times and um, undone some of the hypocrisies which uh, bedivil us all, uh, I would think that this is probably the most sincere love song I've ever written. It's called Sit Down. Like he went to enormous personal effort to mount a characteristic feast with ballads. Now, what uh, Alex did was cook pig in the kiln, and then it was chopped up and with salads and things. 
Alex was the head of ceramics, so he knew how to cook a pig and a kill. But we all sat down and had that. And while we were having that, this guy, Charlie Williamson, he was a busker on Sucky Hall Street who played the fiddle and danced. Well, he went round all the tables fiddling and, and stuff. And I think that was after Billy Connolly did his gig, which was one of the first that he had done. Billy was very friendly with Chuck Mitchell, who designed this poster. It launched the career of Billy Connolly. I remember that particular night. He hadn't performed very much. He, he had, I think he'd done the Humble Bum stuff. He was part of a group, and it was the music. He played banjo, and it was all about that. And he spoke between things. But at this one in particular, and the whole school was there. There were architects, town planners, you know, everybody in the Haldane building. And he was so funny. I remember a guy opposite me from town planning slid off his seat and ended up under the table. He just couldn't stop laughing. And I think many ways that kind of environment was good for Billy because he, he was interested in the arts and interested in painting and so on. And he was also interested in youth. And Brian Kelly. Ones that I remembered particularly, George Melly, in the library. In the ground floor of the library where you go in, that used to be an open space. But I remember George Melly and his band doing a performance in there. And afterwards, George Melly came over to the studio and came upstairs. And, uh, and Peter Blake came into the studio and did tutorials with a group of us. And you know, I remember having a tutorial with Peter Blake and the work I was making. No relationship at all whatsoever to Peter Blake's painting. I, I remember having the most incredible conversation with Peter Blake and, and he changed my life a wee bit in that afternoon. The first one Bruce Lacey did was a straightforward artist coming here. I was much more keen on the idea of happenings and events. He came up in a, a van with stuff in it. I think he was mainly wanting to live in it. I said, what, what is it you're going to do, Bruce? He said, well, I think it was in the afternoon in the Haldane building. He said, what I want to do is just fill the room with stuff. <laughs> stuff that students can lift and handle, draw on, paint on, and other stuff like sound and film. The films uh, he showed were in quite bad taste. They were films of various men and women, not necessarily sexual, but in circumstances which were questionable, you know, for a student event like that, I thought. I was probably quite prudish. And I said, How, what are you going to do? Are you going to do a talk? He said, no, 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 I'm not doing a talk. I said, well, I need to introduce you. So we had a, a soundtrack on and we had to find big speakers because he says, eventually I want the sound to be brain-numbing as loud as we can get it. And, of course, we used to have dances in there, so it was fairly easy to do. He said, I would quite like to have a, a big platform, a high platform. And at that time, there was a, a mobile uh, scaffolding unit, so the electricians could go up to the lights, which were quite high up in the hall, in the hall and so on. So I got that in and put the brakes on it. It fixed. And he, f he fixed lights and things to it, and he tabletops round it and in it and people started coming in ones and twos and wondering what on earth was happening you know and when there was enough people I, I would say to him you know Bruce Lacey's just going to let you have an opportunity to make work if that's what you want to do and he's got some soundtrack here and then the film started up and then the sound came up and then people started talking and then some would go to the bar which was next door and they would come by after a couple of years or whatever and then they would start drawing and very often the drawings would be taken really from the films that were being shown. 
So they were kind of questionable in terms of the content that they would normally expect in a life class, for example. And then the sound got very, very loud. And at one point, I thought, I'm going to have to stop this. It was really out of hand. The brakes were taken off the scaffold, and the scaffold was being wheeled about the, the hall. People were fleeing out the road of it. And the most unlikely people were doing the most unlikely things. It was absolutely crazy. And at one point, uh, Harry Barnes opened the door and popped his head in, probably because he thought, I'll need to check out what this guy does. And he withdrew immediately. And later, he said that 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 man will never be here again. (laughs) And I wasn't sure if he was talking about Bruce or talking about me. But it became absolute anarchy. And I, I said to Bruce, I said, Bruce, what do we do? You just switch off everything. He says, no, he says, that'll not work. People feel that, um, you know, you're doing something that, that's not in keeping with what the happening or the event is. It's got to happen very gradually, and they've got to feel they're in control of it. It seemed a lot more philosophical than I thought it would be. So I said, hey, what do we do? He said, we just take the sound down very, very slowly, and we put the lights up. The lights had all been dimmed and only flashing lights and things. So, I mean, it was chaotic. And this was in the middle of the afternoon, and yet it looked like some kind of crazy nightclub in New York or something. And so the sound came down, the lights went up, and everybody, but everybody, looked around sheepishly at the mayhem. I mean, it, was, it really was absolute mayhem. And then they all made for the door quietly. <laughs> and that's how the happening ended. I think in terms of pedagogy, in terms of a developing curriculum, it's probably quite important. These were things that you would only read about and you wouldn't think happened in Glasgow School of Art, you know. You would pick up a magazine and say, well, you didn't even pick up many magazines nowadays, but it was something you would associate with uh, some other revolutionary art school and not just as a, an everyday event, if you like, during Activities Week. Roger Hoare. I was involved in Activities Week. I got involved in the committee, and I remember early on bringing Richard Smith. I brought a printmaker called Chris Orr, then unknown, hardly Marxist, did narrative printmaking. He later became professor of printmaking at Royal College. It was always organised by the school, the, the, the tutors, our, our group, really, as I got involved in Jimmy Cosgrove was one of the main leaders and David Dobson the sculptors and the architects did really brilliantly on this so all these things were going on it was a very very busy programme very exciting time with dances and things like that as well towards the end my students were on two occasions student presidents one of them a lad called David Sukup asked me if I would bring some visitors sort of as a subsidiary to the programme the students were going to do so I said what shall I bring avant-garde filmmakers, art filmmakers in, and performance artists. So that's what I did. And through my contacts with the Arts Council, I got sort of art films brought up. It, it was a terrible, snowy week, and so several guests couldn't come from London. But I got Bruce McLean and Ian Breakwell, who came and performed, down in the Haldane building. It, chaos. It was chaotic. Francesco Clementi, Marina Abramovich, San Giorgio. Jens Grinnells, Larry Lomelts, Gerhard Richter, Marco Bagnoli, Scobie Breezley, Mimo Palladino, Joseph Boyce Borger, Raymond Salvatore, Boyce Borger, Barry Bosner, Baldessari, Gurum, Brown, Broders, Baslitz, Becker, Bennett, Wedding, Beckley, Bikes, 
says our toupee. Absolutely dreadful. And I'm very broad-minded about these things. That was the day I was running about like mad between the two, between Kevin, who was here doing a, a performance in the Bourdon building, introducing him and then thanking him and then running away to see how Ian and Bruce were getting on with something they hadn't rehearsed and didn't know what they were doing, you know. I can't actually remember it in detail. It was just so awful. It was kind of embarrassingly awful. Ian, he did a, a, a reading of Minister's sermon. Bruce did something else, drawing on a board or something, you know, and talking about things like Leonardo in a very abstracted way. But it didn't connect. So Ian was on a pulpit glorified lectern that we cobbled together and, and reading sermon as if he was speaking to the congregation. And Ian was being an artist, working surreptitiously, while this sermon was going on and seemed to remember a lot of alcohol <laughs> going down. This was down in, in Sucky Hall Street. And I can't remember whose idea it was, but it was a good idea was to take activities week out into Sucky Hall Street and let people see what the art school was about. I think it's a soft sell for people to understand what an art school is how it functions. But most people think it when they look at Turner Prize and things like that, they think that's what the art school does. Whereas what we were trying to do there was show you notice there wasn't a an easel with somebody painting a still life or something like that. Was to really show that it was about a lot of different things. My name is Sam Ainsley. We put on a Picasso play, Desire Caught by the Tail, where some of the characters are the curtains to be paid by a minimum of six people. Thin anxiety, fat anxiety. You know, this was... Hardly anybody knows that Picasso wrote this play. But it was a dream to put on. So it wasn't for the department. It was for the whole school, for Activity Street. The fashion show was another biggie, which wasn't really part of Activities Week, but was that kind of extracurricular activity. And... I don't, know, I, I don't know if it was just kind of a social event for us or if there was anything designed in the curriculum that helped us come together. The fashion show had a kind of sculptural approach, I think. It's very outlandish and quite extreme. I mean, for instance, Glasgow in the mid-80s had a fashion show where there was no fashion department with environmental art students and, well, fine art students. And so there were things like, one of my ex-students, Louise Scullion, had painted, hand-painted a coat, which I still have, which I bought, 
which is a map of Scotland, all over it. Specifically the area near Helensborough, where she comes from, where all the American cruise missiles are sighted. And so whoever it was, the model came charging down this runway with a huge map of Scotland and this Scotland coat on. And it just seemed like a call to arms, you know? It really was amazing. And then there was Ewan Hunter. Four guys were, had fur bottom halves with hooves. God knows how they walked in them. Bare-chested, half man, half beast. And on the top, the four insignia of political power, you know, the police, the judiciary, politicians, judges, whatever. And they stormed down this ramp towards the audience. They were utterly terrifying. And that was a fashion show in the 80s. (laughs) And we had no fashion department. And the sex change guy, came on stage naked and wrapped himself in cling film till he made this most astonishing dress out of cling film on stage. Fashion show was an amazing event every year, frequently spectacular. But the one fashion show from around that time that sticks in my mind, it's indelibly printed, was the one where I think it was a student called Kenny McClellan, who was there at the same time as Ray Moavala, who was the son of Alpha Valla, who was the stained glass tutor loved in murals and stained glass department. It was either a collaboration between these two or both of these boys were very talented, but one of their year... I think it was a young woman called Steph. I don't remember her other name anyway. She was very tall, elegant, lean, short, blonde hair, quite angular features, as I remember. And it was at the time of Thatcher. And I remember coming down the catwalk. Steph was very tall anyway, but whether or not her height was accentuated by being on stilts, but I remember this very tall elegant Madame Pompadour looking person with this huge wig and silvery garments with a great big skirt coming down the catwalk to the blaring sound of Land of Hope and Glory. It was absolutely incredible. I had vested interest in it, so I've got to say I think it had an enormous input, but I do firmly believe that, and there are you could talk to a lot of people who went through the school at that time and they would say, what activities we... There were huge sections in drawing and painting, that, including staff, that activities week didn't happen. But there were a lot of other people that were excited by seeing new things and, and the opportunity to, to talk to people. You know, you go to a party on a Friday night and the guests were there. Peter Blake was there one night with a jazz thing and, and I remember Stephen Campbell and... Adrian Vishnevsky going up to him and giving him a hard time and you know these these were significant things to people who wanted to be involved and it's the same in drawing and painting you know, there would be the odd person that wouldn't turn up for classes in the studio and probably be noticed not to do that but they were out at activities week so I, I think it had an enormous impact in that way but the other impact institutionally I think was really important where the people who 
we're here, we're going back to London or wherever and saying, God, that's a great place. Not only were the students really interested in what I was saying, but they can party. And, and that all of that was great. It's good if you're looking for external examiners, good if CNAA people are coming up and wondering what the school's about. These are all things on the edge, but they're important things on the edge. So I think it was enormously important, enormously important, and not everyone will agree with that, uh, I suppose. But I only wish that um, I could have been more involved in it for longer, and uh, and I wish we could have put more money into it. But of course, money became tighter and tighter as things developed, and they found other ways to to get excitement. It was a great great time, but I suppose that there was money, so you could bring these people in, and and there were there were staff, and so we had time. I suppose that um, it must have been after. 92 I think I think it sort of petered out quite a bit but the name for the week was still there and some things still happened but it was much more uh, subdued and then I remember with a wee bit of shock one year sitting with a timetable with Kenny Mitchell and on the timetable looking at this week called reading week and said "What's, what's that Ken? And he said, oh, that's, that's replacing Activities Week. And so then Activities Week became Reading Week. People run to the edge of countries and stop <laughs> and look above the water. You can tell the edge by stones. Some are small like sand, some are big like pebbles. (laughs) Then they usually sit down, some on man-made cushions, the rest on newspaper, (laughs) except for a few who don't care where they sit. (laughs) Stones are so unique, people get bored by being unable to find two the same. And anyway, the differences are superficial. Though the stones don't think so. (laughs) In this way, stones are a bit like people. Except they think more and say less. And don't complain. God bless. And that includes pebbles and sand. If your breasts are too big, you will fall over (laughs) unless you wear a rucksack. You've been listening to a podcast written and produced by Debbie Banerjee for Glasgow School of Arts Archives and Collections. For more information about the project, please visit gsaarchiveprojects.wordpress.com. Episode 5 was the final episode in this series.